This week, we took a trip back in time in Bahalana. Let's dive into it in Paradise Found. Hello and welcome to Paradise Found, the official Almost Paradise after show. I am Yael Teagle. I'm Kira Lynn. Kira, today we are discussing Bahalana. Oh, you got that accent right, girl. You speak Tagalog? <laughs> I, I do not. <laughs> Neither do I, but it's fine. Um, this episode is based on a true story. Yes, the episode is actually based on the executive producer and co-creator Dean Devlin, his grandfather wrote a book called Bahalana, which I believe the majority of the storyline is based off of. I really, really loved this episode. So far, I think it's my favorite. Wow. Um, I will say I really enjoyed the clear nod to leverage and leverage (laughs) redemption. Doing a flashback where our characters take on the characters from the past. Beautiful homage. I loved seeing it done on this show. Something that has not been done on Almost Paradise. With the flashback, I will tell you what I loved. Hmm. Ernesto in the wig. <laughs> <laughs> Ernesto with hair. It's obvious that he's the young Silvio, but it was it's a different look. I felt similarly with um, Kai and the braids. They've been pretty consistent in terms of their costuming and their styling. It looks like, you know, they maybe do one to two changes per episode. So to see them in a completely different environment and wardrobe was a really nice change. Absolutely. I think also giving us this history um, that I I personally have never heard any of this stuff before. Uh, this is not something that we are taught in school. And so to hear it is so interesting. What did you think about Maria? What were What were your thoughts in terms of her as the investigative reporter? I liked her. What are you what are you trying to get at? She kind of carried some of those characteristics of Alex in terms of, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, like absolutely. defiant. Um, and he got her in trouble. Uh, absolutely. I think you're totally right. I see the parallel there. <laughs> um, I that's what I think I really liked about her was that she she had a job to do. She wanted to get the story out there. She knew that it was important. She had journalistic integrity. Um, and I appreciate that she was not afraid to go after what she wanted and that she was smart. The way that she cleverly snuck out was brilliant. I was just laughing because it was like, of course, she looks like Angelo. They're the same height, the same build, you know, putting on his helmet and, and you know, the 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 jacket and like taking off. I'm like, yes, she, she has the build of a small boy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that small boy. Yes. I love this character because every family needs your weird techie cousin. Your young, weird techni- techie cousin who is who's in the know on how all of the technology works. Yeah. As someone who loses her keys, her debit card, <laughs> her keys, her cell phone, I have one of those widget things on everything. Be- it, it happened this morning. I couldn't find my phone. Like, I felt... Lolo, Silvio, or Lolo Silvio's um, pain when he couldn't find his wallet. Like, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that. I think he's such a fun character, and I, I want him to join the team. Like, oh. I want, I would love for Angelo to. I'm assuming he's in school. He seems young. Finish school, join the team. I, I agree with you on that. What I also liked about in 
being introduced to Ernesto's family is in season one. He talks about him coming from a small town where his family is from. Mm -hmm. And so here we are. We're finally seeing this small town. He mentions to Alex, Alex, it's taken him two years to come and visit. And there are a lot of Alamares. But let's talk about Lolo Silvio. Yes. I love him. He is so crotchety. And I I don't know any Lolos that are like this personally in my Filipino family, but like I just loved how Lolo Silvio likes things the way he likes it and nobody's going to tell him otherwise. Let the dead bury the dead. I'll just sleep here. I love when he turns the light off and just leaves Alex stuck. I mean, if it didn't happen, Lolo would be dead. That's not true. He was seconds away, (laughs) seconds away from getting the guy off him. Uh, I I really hope that we see more of of uh, Silvio in in other episodes because this was this episode overall was really good. It really was uh my absolute favorite moment, I have to say it, is when Kai and Maria are standing there and the black van is coming and look, I'm not a fan of guns, but her standing there with the gun and the badge. Matapini, stop! Get out of the vehicle. Kai has never looked hotter. She's like <laughs> Totally. Yeah, I yeah, I wrote that moment down. I swooned. She stopped a van from running her over. Ah. Uh. Now I'm shipping them. <laughs> Maria. Maria. Maria and Kai. It could happen. Yeah. It could happen. <laughs> there are certain things that Filipino people do and they have been incorporated into into this episode and the previous one. In the previous one, it's Uncle Emilio calling the three goons over, and he does this thing. He does this. (laughs) And if you're Filipino, you know what that means. (laughs) That is the Filipino call of, hey, I'm trying to get your attention, and I was just cracking up. It's very Filipino. But in this episode, when... Alex calls out to Ernesto and the family comes running and it just cuts to this little girl in the kitchen holding a hockey stick and she goes, Oi! 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 Hey, what is... Honestly, the whole family coming out was incredible because when you, like, once they put up security, which I was like, (laughs) you're putting people on rooftops with guns and bats and, and machetes bats in the middle of this small town. It, it looked like a like a cartel house that they're protecting. <laughs> Welcome to being Filipino. <laughs> but, but when the family shows up, right. they show up. I think that was even shown in the last episode with the Romeros and the right. Castros. But now you have the Alamares. Yes, yes. I love this whole family coming. Everybody waking up. Ooh. Can we talk about Ernesto and Linda? Sure. So Linda comes from season one. There was a diving episode where she owns the uh, she owns the dive shop. Somebody gets killed. Surprise. <laughs> but now, you know, we fast forward to season two and now 
he and Linda are dating, which I I like to see that Ernesto is out and about. He's obviously has a better dating life than Alex does. <laughs> but I was kind of sad because he did have a love interest in season one. As much as we love Linda, I was kind of hoping that that whole love thing was going to work out. But he found he finds love. I'm happy with that. But I was surprised that it was Linda. That's all. That's all I got to say. I agree with you. It was a surprise. I uh, would love to see a triangle form. <gasps> with who? With, with a love triangle with the girls in him. <gasps> oh. Maybe. Right? Maybe that's where we're headed. I hope so. Although it does seem, I mean, if she's, a, uh, maybe it's a different cultural thing, but she's coming over and is part of the family. And it's, she's making Fonset Balabok yeah. for everybody. So... True. They're probably be- pretty far along. There's so much happening in this episode. It's we haven't a- even touched on it yet. It is a lot. And it's a lot of good stuff. Right. Let's let's take it back to World War II. Oh, these flashbacks. My grandfather was in World War II. Yes. And so to see some of the stuff, um, it kind of reminded me of some of the stories that like my my older aunts and uncles would tell me. Um, my grandfather passed a, a long time ago, but it kind of, I felt sort of a connection to that, like hearing, you know, hearing about the Japanese occupation and, you know, how hard it really was on the people. So to watch this episode and being able to connect that to my family's history was really, really special. This is such a, an interesting story and a, a perspective that I, again, feel like has not been explored previously in most media. I mean, to know that this is based on a true story, that what a nice tribute. Absolutely. And to have this character of Carlotta, who is a fascinating, a fascinating person. She's this tiny, yeah, this tiny Filipino woman who, you know, slits throats at seven different occasions. I'm like, that woman is a bad ass. I want an entire series about her. Oh, <laughs> Yes, I actually really, really agree with you and would love to see that as well. I mean, this episode had just badass women all over the place. Yes. We already talked about Kai. Um, And Maria, also at the end, when she is like, I'm getting the story. Like She literally is getting saved and is like, I have the story still. Are you all right? All right. Are you kidding me? I got the story of the year. This is a woman of purpose. This is a woman with morals. She's willing to die for the truth. And yeah, I I thoroughly respect that. The moment that she says, I guess I'll never get her right this part of the story. But I gotta know, how does it all work? Who gives the orders? Ruby Fernandez. I was like, yeah, good call. Good call. This episode was so well done. And the fact that, you know, we wrap it up telling telling Sylvia what happened and the truth and and getting that story out. It's really nice, especially, you know, after this show is it's a it's a modern cop show. So like to see something different was really, really enjoyable. I thought that we were going to have a Titanic moment at the end where, you know, Grandpa Silvio is laying on the (laughs) 
always laying on the bed with, you know, Carlotta's uh, photo and the medal. And I thought this was her, like, throwing the diamond <laughs> into the sea and then going to, you know, falling asleep and going, you know, dying. I I don't know if Grandpa Sylvia died. I hope he didn't. But that's literally where my mind went. I don't know about you. No. No. Okay. I'm the weird one. No. It's true. Grumpy Grandpa is still alive. <laughs> That's not the way he's going out. No, definitely not. (sighs) We still have so much more to discuss in this episode. So much more. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And now an interview with the cast. Let's talk about episode four of Bahalana. Um, This has my favorite moment uh, for Kai of the entire season. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is the most badass moment. It's... Kai is standing there with a gun at the van coming at her, protecting the reporter. It's so badass. And so you're just standing there and it was so hot. I loved it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But I just I just love that this this episode, it really showed how much can I say that? How much balls? Yeah. Like she's really like someone who will Step in front of the fire for any anybody because she really believes in, you know, doing good and, and protecting her people and her community. Mm-hmm. And that's what she was doing. And I really felt that, too, in that scene. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think for both of us separately, when we came to talk about it, it really just struck a chord. It was like she literally stood to, you know risking her life in front of a huge vehicle mm-hmm. coming just, right at her. Yeah, and was just like you know, this is that this character felt so passionate about saving lives mm. that she was willing to risk her own life. In that moment, it was especially apparent where mm. Kai's heart is. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the flashback as well. Yeah. Um, uh, for the Leverage fans, we know that this is a very common thing that happens. Yeah. Um, were you familiar with this idea? Uh, y- yes, because they they did mention that. Okay. I mean, they do like to do it on leverage. And yeah. when that came up, Christian did sit down and tell me <laughs> that this is this is a thing. This is a thing. And I'm like, oh, that's that's awesome. Like, I mean, I get to play somebody else, and I get to play another badass woman. Yeah. Can I say that? Absolutely. Yeah. I can play another woman who's so strong and who's just she pretty much commands the room, which I loved about. Carlotta. Yeah, she, I feel like seeing you as Kai and seeing you as Carlotta, there you see the physical, just you're physically so different the way that you embody these characters. I sat down with uh, Dan, direct Dan, uh, for this episode and I wanted to sort of understand um, the direction he wanted to go with this, this character of Carlotta. And he actually sent me uh, an article on this woman, a real woman. And she was a teacher, but during the war she took on all of these men and literally taught them how to slice the enemy's throats. And I just saw just how she was talking about it and how much she cared about just taking care of her people and protecting them. And I just, it just lit something in me, and mm-hmm. I just, 
I could sort of relate, especially playing Kai. She has very similar um, characteristics, but um, but definitely Carlotta. She can probably kick Kai's ass <laughs> <laughs> if put in a ring. Yeah, if put in a death room. match. Kai or Carlotta? No, but <laughs> depends on the weapons. I guess <laughs> that's, that's true. true. That's true. <laughs> but you know, knowing that Carlotta was actually based on true events. I mean, you know, how delicate do you? take on a character like that. When I watched videos of her, it was just easy to sort of understand where she was coming from because, I mean, again, I I, I sort of understood that with Kai. Um, it was very overwhelming, though, to be able to put on her shoes and play that person. But it it went seamlessly, though, with the dialogue and what she was saying and and being able to also work with the people I was working with on the set, it really was able to bring that character out. So um, I hope I did a good job. You did a fantastic job. Yeah. Thank you. What I really loved and kind of brought it a little bit close to home, you know, my family, obviously I'm Filipino, but I had family who was in the war, you know, mm-hmm. and hearing stories that were passed down to, you know, it's history, but how um, vicious the Japanese treated the Filipinos, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then being able to watch this episode and seeing how, you know, they fought back, mm-hmm. you know, and hearing that side as opposed to the side that I hear of, you know, the torture and the, mm-hmm. you know, the dismay and the death. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, it this episode I was one of my favorites and really, really was personal. So yeah. you guys did a fantastic job. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, thank you. This is an Ernesto-filled episode, which you know we all loved talking about. And right. there is, nice. can you talk about working with the, the actor who plays Lolo Silvio, Leo uh, Rialt? Um, I... Yes. Oh, he was so good. I got, he was wasn't he amazing? I've worked with so him good. on stage and uh, on screen for a TV series. He, he was not unfamiliar to me. We've had we've done projects together, and I, he he is a wonderful actor. He's a great human being, and I told him so after we shot that. He had gone home already. I uh, I messaged him and I said. It was, you know, you get you give so much in a scene that all I really do is react to you because, you know, I don't have to do much, man. I'm just going to react to you. In season one, we hear a little bit about Ernesto and his family and how he comes from this village that's not that far away. But in this episode, we actually get to meet Ernesto's family. And what I love about this is it is a Filipino, Filipino family. <laughs> the way the family was set up and all that, that's not too far from the truth either in my real life. So I've always taken care of immediate family, cousins, nephews, and you know, we're like that. We, we, when I saw that in the script and I said, huh, I never talked to them about my my home life and the arrangements and stuff. How would they know this? You know what I mean? So I, I, I don't know where they got that. Where the writers got that. One of my favorite scenes is when Lolo gets attacked and Alex calls out to Ernesto and all of the family comes running out. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts. 
and yes, we did it over and over again just to get it right because you have to get everything right. You get you have to get the moment when when that whole household just says, "Uh huh, we've got to do something. We have an enemy. We are going to take them down." And you know all of that. It's like one consciousness flinging from the child to the uncle to the boom, 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 boom. They all know what to do. You know, it's unrehearsed, but that's the way we are. And that, that, that was perfect. That would be the type of family, that's my kind of family, uh, Ernesto would come from. It's exactly that, protective of each other. I'll catch the bullet for you when it's time. That's the way it is. That's the way life should be. Ernesto also has a love interest in Linda. Did you know that this was coming? Not in this fashion. I knew the actress um, was going to come back somehow. I didn't realize it was going to be that way. And when Gary told me in an email, I was like, all right, that's terrific. I think I think it's a good pair. It's, it's a good match. You know, because I... He would like somebody like Linda, you know, don't you think? I agree. So I have one last thing about this particular episode. In the Silvio sure. flashback, Ernesto has hair. What did you Yeah. <laughs> was, whose idea was that? Was that planned? How did you feel about it? Oh, that came from, uh, and it was brilliant, of course. I, I, I believe that came from Dean. So when I heard about that from um, from the makeup people, that that was going to happen, I said, okay, I've worn wigs before. You know, I played Judas in a couple of productions of Jesus Christ, uh, Superstar and stuff like that. And they were always terrible. You know, we always had to alter them because the wig has to look like you could actually grow it. I actually had hair up to here. You know, I had long hair. I, I, I ponytailed it. I was doing it for roles and stuff. It was, and it was exactly, I, I don't know how they got it, but I described it to, to uh, uh, the makeup experts. And I said, you know, my hair wasn't voluminous. You know, it wasn't like uh, a, a mane of a lion or anything like that. It was, it just grew and it, you know, it looked nice. You know, you could ponytail it and stuff. And then they showed me the wig. I was shocked. I said, huh, this might work. And I was double shocked when I put it on. I said, let me take this home. It was easy to put on and easy to take off. And I sent them the pictures. From Cebu, we are talking to stunt coordinator Rodney R.J. Cook. Let's check it out. Uh, my name is Rodney Cook, and I'm the stunt director. And I buzz around and do crazy stunts and direct. My background is, comes from extreme sports. I do a lot of jumping and flying. Uh, and I've done stunts for about 28 years. I started on small TV shows and progressed into big, big blockbusters like Lord of the Rings and Avatar and King Kong and the lights. The role on my set is that I take care of all the action. Uh, I coordinate and I put together all the action scenes I put previews together, which are like little mini shoots, and then I direct um, pretty much all the action scenes and uh, advise as well to help the directors uh, to emphasize their vision, enhance it. Uh, the most fun and exciting uh, scene so far has been a lot of there's been a lot of traffic uh, car driving, like multiple cars, etc. 
and uh, it's quite fun screaming down roads on the, on the cars. But also we've had some really cool boat action as well. I love the water. So between cars and boats, good fun. This season and last season, the biggest challenge is communication for me uh, and infrastructure. So I'm, a from, I'm from New Zealand. My Kiwi accent sometimes is very strong. People go, okay. But uh, the main thing is, the biggest challenge for, I think for everyone was uh, boarding a new studio because we lost our studio in the typhoon and getting those systems back in place with a new production company. The biggest surprise that I learned from stunts is that in the Philippines is that, is that there's not many stuntmen or Filipino people that can swim, believe it or not. So I had to train my stunt team to swim. That was, a, that was challenging, but also a big surprise as well. But uh, what really surprised me in the Philippines is uh, the diversity of locations as well and the traffic. <laughs> The thing that sets this production apart from the other productions that I've worked on is, again, is the people and locations. Uh, you can't get it anywhere else. Uh, very hard to explain from a, someone from an outside point of view, but I really enjoyed my experience. I enjoyed it the first time around, and I loved it the second time around as well. I've got a completely new crew, um, and they're just as good as the, the first crew, if not better. We had to go into training for that because some of those martial arts I'm not familiar with, but I do box. So um, knowing that, it's just like applying what you know from boxing with the twist to the stick fighting, which is our knees and uh, the, uh, the judo parts and the, the, the striking parts with the kicks and stuff. I mean, I'm familiar with that because I've dabbled in it, but you still have to train. And uh, it's a little more specific to film. You know, there are things you can't do too fast. You got to slow it down. You have to exaggerate some things, some things you don't, and you have to act while you're doing it. So there's a specific way that Ernesto, I feel, fights that is not dissimilar to the way I would fight anyway. I, I think the audience would notice from season one that I, I don't yell. I don't go, I don't do any of the yells or the, the faces, the grimaces that go with a fighter, which is what you usually see on screen. I wanted him to be just blank. You know, he can be expressive when he's talking, but when he's fighting, it's just blank. It's just, he's just doing it. No grunts, no nothing. And no posing. None of this kung fu, kung fu things that happen. You know, it's just that he just does his job. He just stands there and waits, and then when it's time, and he stands there again. So he's very robotic in that sense. After I do a stunt scene with, there's always this rush. This adrenaline stays with you for a while. But I focus on getting it right, you know, knowing where, what the camera is catching and stuff like that. And we always adjust things. I, I'm always adjusting things. Like uh, if the uh, stunt choreographers, the fight choreographers, would give me a movement that I feel it's, it's too much, it, it's too extraneous. You know, I would always go to direct to the point. Sometimes you need a bit of flash, right? But if it borders on unrealism for me, then I'd object to it and tell them, you know, I want the guy, the ex-cop or the ex-judo master watching the show to say, ah, that's realistic. I want them to appreciate it. You know, the, the ordinary audience might not know the difference, but I want the experts to say, ah, oh, that's pretty cool, man. 
And that's the part that really jazzes me a lot. You know, it's like, we got it right. And then when I watch the rush, I said, yep, that's it. It's real. Working on all the stunts on Almost Paradise is just, it's, <laughs> it's so much fun. Because I knew coming into the show, we had to do, you know, a lot of active fight scenes. <laughs> going into it, I didn't really know too much about, you know, all the different you know, martial arts and things that I had to go through, but being able to train for it was another level. With the guys on set and just working with the whole team, it's just, it makes everything exciting and fun and it's not like you're working. So yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And I've learned a lot of moves that I could use on my own too, so it's awesome. Doing your own stunts. I mean, I've done my own stunts now for since I started in this business. I was I was very fortunate. Uh, I was very fortunate to to be on a television series called Angel um, for Joss Whedon. Uh, however, I was an expendable character, so they didn't care if I got hurt, so they just let me do it. And then that carried over into Leverage when John Rogers hired me. He knew that I did that kind of stuff. Kevin Jackson was the stunt coordinator on that, and he allowed me to do all all of it and you know and really choreographed the fights as well and so i walked into that to, to almost paradise with that uh knowledge and really with that experience i mean you know it, it's 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 a dance you gotta have a good dance partner but you also have to be a really good lead dancer in that situation and i can't dance but i can fight so it's really great and 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 then you know to to have the stunt team that we had that came out of new zealand and uh, it made my life easy because they would choreograph one of some of the fights and then I would come in and they always knew that I was gonna change it to what I'm comfortable with and what I think may look better on, on, on screen. And to have that, to have, not only to have a stunt coordinator that trusts you, but to have an executive producer and creator of the show that trusts you to continue to do all this stuff. You know, I mean, people don't realize I got 17, 10, 17, five, you know, I've been stitched open so many times, it's ridiculous. And the one thing that I can say, and this is a good thing, it sounds bad, but it's good, is that I actually have been sent to the hospital more than I've sent people to the hospital. And so for an actor who does his own stunts, stunt guy, that's a really good resume to have. Working with Christian is a, it's like going to college. It's a learning experience, both in acting, in choreography, in stunts, He's a master at it, you know, the choreography, the, the holds, you know, he's a wrestler too, you know. I don't, I've always said to people, I'd fight anybody with any kind of art behind them, but the wrestler, somebody like Christian, you know, they just get a piece of you and it's like a python. <laughs> you can't move, right? That scares me. <laughs> you know, there's people who hold and grapple and stop you. You try to stay away. So more of a striker. I mean, working with Christian, I know he's had that background. Just he's been doing stunts like most of his career and just having him on set and sort of walking me through it and guiding me through it was just a blessing because he definitely knows what he's doing. And he also cares a lot about how you feel about it and what makes you comfortable. So it's I love working with Christian. He just he's so talented. It wouldn't be Almost Paradise without Christian Kane. Um, let's talk about episode four, Bahalana. Um, this episode is, we got flashbacks. It felt very leveragey to have a flashback. Right. Um, how did that feel for you to bring that leverage magic? 
Well, you know, we always talk about doing it on leverage because every time we do it on leverage, it becomes one of our most, you know, favorite episodes for the fans. And we didn't do that this year. Uh, on the last season of leverage, we right. didn't do that this year, uh, our last season. Um, so it was fun for me because I knew what we were going to get into. And you always get to where, how do I put this? Let me just talk about leverage for a second. On leverage, we get to where, and we get to do it on Almost Paradise uh, quite a bit as well. But on leverage, we always do it. We get to where we're actors. Christian King comes in to play Elliot Spencer, but then Elliot Spencer gets to play Johnny Lunchmeat or whatever it is and put on, and we get to put on a hat as an actor, and then that actor with the hat on gets to put on another hat. And in a flashback, you get to even put on another hat. And it's so much fun to do, to go four rows down in the hat section to, to, to build a character. Uh, and, and, and I was trying to explain it to Art and Sam, and I was like, I go, these these are really, really fun. And they got behind it, and we just had a blast, man. And it's so much fun to do. Um, and it is a little bit, you know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of thing. And mm-hmm. we know the success that we have with those unleveraged, and so we gave it a shot, and I think that we won big time. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you have any um, advice to give to Art and Sam to be like, this is, let me explain how this works and why it's so great? No, because they're two different characters. I mean, you know, I didn't want to say too much. Obviously, with, with Beth Reesgraf and Aldous Hodge playing Parker and Hardison, I don't have to tell them anything. And I sure as hell I'm telling Gina Bellman anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> Gina's got it down. So I don't, I don't really, um, I don't have to tell them. I, I, and so I just didn't do it with this one. I wanted to see, I wanted to see if I could lead by example, but then my character really didn't have that much stuff going on. I thought he was going to, but then he didn't. And I really wanted to play it back. There's something about leverage that has carried over into Almost Paradise, and that is the fact that whenever somebody's turn to shine on leverage, everyone takes a step back. Mm-hmm. If it's Beth, if it's Aldous, if it's Gina, if it's Noah, we have all, and we don't do it, we don't talk about it, we just do it. You let that person shine when it's their time to shine. And seeing that my character wasn't the one that you really want to focus on in the flashback, I just stepped back and let them do their own thing. It was really Art's time to shine. And then Sam to play a character like this. She's never played. I wanted her to really shine. So I took a, uh, a note from Leverage and I stepped back and let them go do their thing. And it was very successful. The thing about this was, is we surrounded ourselves with really, really talented actors. Most people don't know this. The people that come and guest star on our show these are the Al Pacinos of the Philippines. These are the Julia Roberts of the Philippines. These people are so unbelievably famous, you know, and they don't and they come to do our show because it's an American TV show. And we're so happy to have them. And people explain to me later on, they're like, you know, that's like Robert De Niro of the Philippines. I'm like, no, and he, you know, he had like a couple of scenes, but they come in and they want to help. And it's so fantastic. And it blows me away. And the guy that played Leo, he's you know, it's it's just he nailed it. And so you take a step back. And it was fun because I got to go to or Ernesto's house, which was in a really, really populated Filipino area. Um, there were c- crowds outside watching us come in because I come in on a bus and, you know, we had to move people. Uh, so many people were gathered around, you know, and I walk through that crowd and then I walk into a really traditional Filipino outside dinner. And I felt like an outsider. I felt like I felt like the white guy in the Philippines. <laughs> and if you watch the episode, that's what I played. I loved about this episode, and we talked about it in the discussion, just to see it really shows how deep family goes. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think for me, you know, that's what made what connected me to this episode so much. Yeah. How did was that feeling for you? You know, coming in not only just for say those scenes but like you're, you're, you're talking about coming into a sort of a family scenario mm-hmm. you know talk a little bit about that I think we showed it 
in the light that it should have been shown. Because that's not just what we're putting on film. That's how the Filipino family system works. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I've seen it because I've been, I've been, I've been there for, you know, two years. I've, and, and it's, and it's, it's not like that here. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like that here. It's, uh, you know, the, the only thing that I can, that I can really relate it to is, some of my friends who are Latino, mm -hmm. you know, and I've dated a couple of Latino girls and I, Latina girls. And, and so, and they, they really have that whole, you know, the, the, the family and the food and the getting around and there's no cell phones anywhere when you're eating. And it's just, and it's just, and it's crazy and it's really family. And it kind of makes you, it, it, it kind of makes you miss it when you're here. Mm -hmm. You know, I, these, everyone I've worked with, everyone that's been around, even people that I don't know, even the families that were outside that day, you know, they're just so nice. And they're so welcoming, and never do I feel out of place. I just don't. I actually feel like it's a lot more my home now than, than some of the places that I've been mm. because of the family dynamic there. Yeah. So there you are. I love that. Oh, yeah. that yeah. I'm the emotional one between the two of us. So <laughs> <laughs> that war that really warms my heart that yeah. you felt the you know, the love of family, well, just the, the friendliness of the Filipino people, yeah, you know, and um, I'm glad that that's something that you've taken home with you. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, episode four, Mahalana. I want to know from a production side, what do you do to signal like the present versus the past? Um, I think cinematography wise, he lived the past and the present differently. So there's like a tangible um, difference between the two timelines. You also had like big explosions. Uh, yeah. How did, how did you make, how did you make, is that movie magic or were there, did things blow up? Uh, it, it's a mixture of both. We had practical explosions and it was enhanced in post. So we had both um, practical explosions and yeah, enhancements. How many times did you have practical explosions? Ah, <laughs> uh, oh my God. I think we did it three to four times, if I remember correctly. Yeah. One for the wide and twice for the close-ups. In Balana, it was like a, a much more emotional uh, story than I feel like we're used to. A lot of the show, you know, is, is action and is... Um, uh, humor, but this episode, you know, going into um, Ernesto's uh, family and history uh, felt, it felt different. Um, yeah. Did you feel that when making it? Did it feel different or did it feel like just another episode? No, it felt different because at the end of the day, it's about emotions. It's about how did the characters feel? It's about going to the core of the character and with Bahala na going to the well you know if you know Filipinos are very family centric so it was kind of fun to explore the whole dynamic of the family and show it to 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 the American audience that uh, Filipino families are like this they're tight in it we live together so in a compound so that's very usual for a Filipino family I'm very happy with it to have the chance to show it to a different audience. Yeah, we also, you know, this compound felt, although large, every time we were inside, it felt crowded. Um, yeah. Were you, were you on a real compound or was that a set on a stage? 
And that's an actual compound in Cebu. We found the location to fit the script. When I read the script, I had the picture of what it should look like. A very Filipino compound. So the location managers did a great job in finding the, that kind of, I wouldn't say cramp, but um, it's a large space, but there are many people living in it. And the other in Bahalana, it was the final scene in the beach where they had to fire a gun. So it was kind of hard, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun to do. What made that scene uh, challenging? Well, first was the schedule and the location. Because we had to finish all all of that all in one day. So it was very hard to compress each and every sequence to shoot that in one day. And we were praying that it wouldn't rain. And thankfully, it didn't. It didn't. So, plus, it was hard to get coverage from that kind of um, uh, area because it was rocky. And, of course, you have to prioritize safety. So, you have to remove each and every bit of glass on the beach. Wow. So, it, it, it takes time for prep and everything to shoot there. Let's take a tour of the chief's office with Noni Buen Camino. Hello, welcome to my office. This is my desk, my chair, and we've had this from season one going on to season two. We've changed our studio already. We've changed our warehouse, but with the expertise of Digo Risho, he has been able to reconstruct it and make it almost exactly like the same as the one that he made in season one now. This uh, depiction of a police department is really huge and big. Of course, we're taking liberty, a cinematic life. And that's the ringing of the bell when uh, there's going to be a take. So we'll be very quiet, okay? So they make it see so big because you also need um, so that the camera will be free, so that the camera and the the setups will be easier also. So, yeah, camera department. So here, you see all these things. So they've set it up. The art department is very detailed. And of course, see, Aiko Campo is a very vain, if you can see. Have you ever seen a police detective in the Philippines wearing a suit? I mean, not a suit. Right now, I'm wearing a jacket. But for the most part, I'm wearing a suit because I'm... It's very important to me how I look and how I present myself. No? So I have a mirror there, and I keep I look at that mirror every now and then to check if I'm a, still a poggy, as they say in Tagalog, good looking. So I, that's very important to me. See my picture? This is my picture there, you know, when I, during season one. That's, that's the, been there already. So let's move on. There's a couch here. We've done a lot of scenes already here with Alex Walker, Kai Mendoza, and all the others. Yeah, and you notice, yeah, they studied how uh, probably a police department looks like. So we have all these cases and this uh, paper, lots of paperwork, pictures there. 
Yeah, and so we're now going into the investigation room. Okay. So I remember doing a lot of my um, uh, speeches here or uh, briefing, that uh, so-called briefing when I talk to the policemen, they, they're mostly here seated on the tables formally. If you can see this long hallway, huh? Diva? Impressive, huh? Looks real. Then here, this is the interrogation room. I think my very first scene with the great Christian Kane was here. And we had this. That's another sign for us to say, keep quiet. Don't talk too loud because we're doing a take. There, we're doing a take somewhere else. Anyway, so this interrogation scene where I did, uh, what the, the interrogation, sh interrogation scene I did with Christian Kane in the very first episode of the first season. Yeah, we had this first scene done here with Kai also. And for this most part, these are, well, most of these mga policemen and detectives, they hang around here. Uh, this is the bullpen, yeah, the bullpen. Not uh, the one that you write with, uh, no, bullpen, not ballpen, okay. So, I think Kai is here and Ernesto is here. Ernesto Alamares and Kai Mendoza. They're both seated here, so every time I, I call them, I just, you know, just open the door and then stick my head out. Come on over. I need to talk to you both. So there's my room. There's the doorway, the threshold to the doorway. There it is. So my very first scene, I had a very long walking scene. In the very beginning of the first episode. Apparently, he spent more time under deep cover than anyone else in the Bureau. Two years attached to Operation Eradication in the Golden Triangle, Mexico, Colombia, a year and a half in Spain, doing uh, God knows what. Apparently, he's some sort of a legend. There were a lot of takes and a lot of rehearsals because there were so many elements involved in the scene. That's it. That's the department. Thanks so much for joining us here on Paradise Found, the official Almost Paradise After Show. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at Almost Paradise After Show. Be sure to join us next week when we review episode five, Deus Ex-Wife Machina. Until next time, I'm Yael Teagle. I'm Kira Lynn. And we'll see you there.